0: Hello, and welcome back to Untitled Talkies Podcast, where four friends discuss seminal 90s anime Gundam Wing. I'm Mallory, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined, as always, by Caitlin, Kat, and Kathy. So today, we'll be talking about episodes 37 and 38. So episode 37 is called Zero vs. Epion, and it takes place directly after the previous episode, St. Kingdom's Collapse. We pick back up with Zex rushing home to help his sister. Hero meanwhile, mercs a bunch of mobile dolls in a desperate attempt to stave off their attack, but he's outnumbered. Obviously, he and Zex clash, and Sparks fly in more ways than one. Meanwhile, Rolina has arrived at the Romafeller Foundation, where Duke Dermale offers her hand-picked tea from his garden. He asks her to become the representative head of the Foundation for the Optics. At this point, we see Hiro and Zex prepare for a final battle, but it ends in a draw when both of them experience a Gundam-related blue screen of death. Hero falls out of his Gundam, again, directly onto his head, a recurring theme with this boy, and Zex does the same. Meanwhile, Wufei attacks the lunar base and the still-being-completed Libra warship, coinciding with an attack by revolutionaries calling themselves White Fang, and we're introduced to the idea of the Artemis Revolution. Subarov is killed during the attack right after he screams, I am invincible! Sad. Episode 38 is called The Birth of Queen Relina." It starts with what Katra and Noin have been up to in space, which is in chaos as White Fang and Romafeller clash across the colonies. Wufe lays waste to more mobile dolls and Noin happens upon the battle. She approaches him in her own mobile suit to try to convince him to fight with her and Katra, and he rebuffs her in the most sexist way he knows how. Meanwhile, Duo and Hildi are filing, quote-unquote, when they realize the Winter Corps is hiring, which Duo correctly infers means Katra is back in space. He finds Katra and, in their conversation, reveals he knows Troa's location. So, of course, Katra has to go find him in the circus. Surprising amount of circus in this show, I have to say. Until he sees a familiar figure kneeling with a lion, and he's so overcome by emotion, he starts crying. Of course Troa has amnesia, so he just looks blankly at his boyfriend until Catherine spots them and shoes Katra away. But is beginning to remember. Later that evening, as clown Troa performs, the White Fang and Romafeller battles crash the circus. He and Katra have an emotional moment before the blonde hops into Sandrock to dispatch a bunch of mobile dolls. Meanwhile, Relina has completed her transformation into Queen Relina. Naturally, Dorothy is by her side, and naturally, Dorothy is in full goth Lolita. In Queen Relina's first public address to her new dominion, the world, she declares her intent to eliminate wars and promote peace, and so she's dissolving all national borders and creating the world nation as Gundam pilots watch, and Trey's lurks in the dark, nursing his god complex. So, these were good episodes. Um, There's a lot to talk about, but first, I think we should probably tally up where all the related parties are, and kind of what is happening politically, because I'm a little confused about who is who, and who's fighting what.
1: Yeah, I am also extremely confused. I, I had suggested this partially to try to dispel, I think, my own confusion. Um, and part of this is because there's moments in these episodes where I feel like I was using Oz and Ramafeller Foundation interchangeably, and I wasn't sure if that was still accurate or if the whole trays faction thing was an internal schism and maybe not obvious to other parties like the colonies. Um, there's a lot of discussion of what the colonies want or who is fighting for the colonies. And I know that we had spent some time previously talking about where the allegiance of the colonies might be. So I was thinking maybe we would start with the colonies. I think, you know, if we go back to the very beginning of Gundam Wing, they wanted to be free from, I'm guessing sort of overall alliance rule. Like they didn't want to be used as kind of like a natural resource mine, right? Like... I think right now they are still nominally aligned with Oz, but then I think maybe the Trace faction has convinced some of them that the Oz you know, faction is actually the Romafeller Foundation, which is going to use them the same way the Alliance did. Is that where you guys think they are as well?
2: There's not really a, a functional difference anymore between Romafeller and Oz. Like I think it's all the Romafeller Foundation. They're the ones that are running the show down on Earth. And so while the colonies became allied with Oz, like, they're still creating these mobile dolls for the Romafeller Foundation. So, like, I think the colonists knew that there was a connection. I'm not sure if that's changed.
3: Yeah, I think that, I I think Oz and Romafeller are essentially the same. I think what we see with White Fang is probably involving some old Trace Faction people and some natural revolutionary Mm -hmm. types Uh, in the colonies convincing people that you know this is a bad setup
0: Are were the revolutionaries that duo was talking to thinking about or contemplating joining white fang then or are these like the people who became white fang
2: i think we're supposed to read it as sort of like a natural progression so the people the colonists that duo was talking to and how they were starting to contemplate joining up with former members of the trace faction I think we're supposed to follow through that, like, now they're all in White Fang. I don't mm-hmm. think there was enough trace faction in space for it to, like, all be them. But I, I could be wrong. Like, that's my understanding.
3: Oh, yeah. I don't know if Colonist revolutionaries would be inclined to, like, join the outright trace faction either, for obvious
2: reasons. Right. I just like that we get a new villain, like, 37 episodes. In yeah, the I'm excited.
3: Season. I'm excited yeah. that Subarov had to die in order to give us another old man
1: villain. Like, you can't have two at once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a, f- a funny thing about the Tsubarov death is I think this is actually a GoldenEye parody. So there's a character <laughs> in GoldenEye, Boris Ivanovich, who his key phrase is I am invincible. And he dies in a very similar way to Zubaroff in these episodes there's a scene where he is escaping from explosions he ends up at a computer he's like programming something and then basically somebody blows up a bunch of coolant behind him and in in the process kills him as well um so I thought that was weird like it was like a weird reference I'm pretty sure it's the right reference because I don't know why else they would have like made it so explicit so that was weird and then second like when I saw Quince I was just like this you know this is clearly a 90s anime because i think we're supposed to find him you know like an old wily manipulative man but i feel like in 2021 if gundam wing had shown up like quince would definitely be sort of like a rare pair doujinshi like object of like oyaji obsession like he has all the right characteristics in terms of like physical appearance to like definitely star in some pornographic comics is all i, would I don't say he, i don't know about that <laughs> He just seems
0: like a Northern California cult leader. That's all I think about when I see him. Like those old dudes on bikes in like the Sonoma County, riding around and looking down on you if you're not wearing. Yeah, he
3: does. He does have that vibe. I think in order to be a, an object of the Jinchi obsession, he'd have to take his shirt off and reveal like a twelve a twelve pack. Yeah, like he'd have to reveal thousands of abs and like scars. Um, I also think that in 2020. <laughs> we're, we're all more inclined to be sympathetic with the revolutionaries. Whereas in 1995, 96, we were, yeah. you know, people were like, oh, we can still suffer this like liberal bullshit of like the revolutionaries being the really bad ones. Whereas these days, people are like, let's let's go overthrow Earth.
2: I thought it was really funny that Roma Feller's goal right now is for one world nation. Yes! <laughs>
1: And Rolina just announces it, which I think yeah. was really, it. like, it doesn't make that much political sense. She essentially just declares all nations, one nation now, and that she's the queen and now all borders are free, which is an interesting move. I mean, what are you going to say to that? No?
3: They were previously in this Earth Sphere Alliance, which I guess must be a form of uh allegiance between nations that we cannot conceive of right now in our current political environment so they must be
1: like primed for this in some way
2: oh i thought it was just supposed to be like future un so
0: like not quite as tight i think
1: i think it's like a militarized european union is how i thought of it yeah
0: yeah like relina can just declare something and it's just gonna happen (laughs) yeah so when Duke mail first proposes this to Rolina. she's like no i won't trample on the people i won't oppress any more people then she decides by the end of the episode that it is more strategically valuable right for her to be there for her to accept this position and then do what she can from the inside i'm assuming is her thinking um and it seems like trey's has an idea of of that, right? Because at the end of these episodes, he's kind of like, you need to be careful how you use her.
2: Yeah, he thinks she's a risk for the Roma Foundation to use this way. I love Duke Dermal being like, of course they're going to believe this garbage because you're going to tell them this garbage. I think we really see that totalitarian control exerted more in this episode than I think we've really seen materially. Like we know that Romafeller Foundation has taken over all these countries, but here it's like they're taking all the resources directly and they're like just going to straight up lie to the entire world.
1: You know, Dirk mail brings up a point that we have discussed previously on this podcast, which is is it, how can we get to an idea of total peace? And I think the whole point of the Saint Kingdom was we put down our weapons, we embrace pacifism, you know, no fighting, we resolve things in a peaceful way. And Rama Federal Foundation isn't quite saying something the opposite of it. They're just saying peace is possible, we have absolute control. And so it's this interesting, like two sides of the same coin Thing, which I think is fabulously illustrated by that scene where Dorothy and Relina walk side by side both kind of pillars and symbols of the same idea which is total peace but achieved in completely different ways. Relina is in this beautifully Audrey Hepburn inspired like Queen of the Nation white gown and Dorothy is in this like 90s mall gone, yeah, like love you said, Mallory, black <laughs> dress. So I thought right. that was really interesting because it is bringing up that same conundrum we have over and over again, which Trey's used to subscribe to. Basically, in that authoritarian speech he gave way back when, where it's like, we can have peace as long as everybody listens to me, which is an idea. And then the second thing I thought of is when Duke DutrMail has Rolina in his control, this is one of... The few times in recent history in the show that Relina has had to make a decision completely alone, because mm-hmm. since her father's death she has almost always had somebody, and that person was known for a really long time. But then when she was at the Saint Kingdom, was a lot of people. You know, sometimes she's had the pilots with her, sometimes Pagan, not, but she's always had Dorothy. somebody, right? Pagan, Dorothy, all these people, and so for once she's totally alone, entrapped in this old dude's like weird ass garden offering her tea, which like he picked himself, which had like weird poisoning vibes, because I've been watching a lot of Chinese palace dramas and if somebody (laughs) makes
3: you tea himself, especially if he's picked it in his own garden. That's clearly poison. Exactly.
1: So then I was thinking, you know, there is this element where she feels like she has to survive. And it's embodied by Duo's comment later when he talks to Katra. And they say, basically, you know, once a dream is lost, then everything is lost. Katra says that to Duo, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think of it kind of like in this moment, she decides that her surviving is what's the most important. Like, she needs to survive. And this is the only way that she can survive.
3: I suspect to her in some ways, I mean, obviously, Dirk D'Ameril's route to peace is bad. But in some ways, any any form of a totally pacifist conclusion is better to her than constant war. And so I don't think it's entirely like, oh, she's going to join up with them and take over from the inside. Um, it's also a little bit of, okay, if their goal is achieved, it does align in some ways with my goal, even though their goal is bullshit. Um, I can convert their bullshit into my reality. And it will still result in fewer people dying.
0: Right. Use the corner that she's been painted into. I want to go back to that point you referenced, Kat, where Duke Jermail tells Rolina, like, of course, everyone's going to believe this. This is what we've been telling the colonies, essentially. And this is what they believe. And I I like that we got little glimpses of what it would be like to be a colonist through Duo, where we saw several scenes of him watching television in the Mm -hmm. colonies, um, watching Rolina's address white fangs broadcast i liked that we saw those because it really showed kind of like kat you were saying the kind of fist that um romafeller foundation has on what information is being shared to people
3: who is such a savvy media go, go consumer forward. he's always like this is bullshit
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like he knows that romafeller is just bullshit um and he has the context of like I know Oz is bullshit and what the hell is Rolena doing?
3: Yeah. But every, everybody else in the colonies is getting Fox Newsed. news.
2: Exactly. <laughs> um, so duo really brings up a lot of questions for me in these episodes. So after the moon base duo is mostly killing mobile dolls. Like he's salvaging stuff. That's his business, but he's still using his Gundam a lot. Um, and then he was like, sort of invited into the revolution by some colonists and, was sort of a dick to him, but then these episodes kind of show that maybe he was correct to be because they didn't have anything new to offer him. And now he is sort of filing and thinks he needs a job, but he's running this salvage company and he's talking to Deathside like they haven't done anything. I guess this is just like another timeline question. Did he stop Gundaming for a while because he was so sick
0: of the colonists or what? It seemed like he was... Laying low and using this time to figure out whether he actually wants to give up the fight mm-hmm. after all. And there were moments in the last couple of episodes that made me think so. Like when he and Hilde are at the park and he makes a joke about the war and how people will never stop fighting. And then he's like, ha ha ha, that's that's not me. And it seemed like he was he was really trying to kind of put on this, like, normal suit. Yeah. And, and we get
2: that that same tone from him when he's talking to Catra. But there was nothing in the show that was explicitly like, I'm going to hang this up or anything, right? I didn't miss something.
1: I don't think he was... Ha- I mean, no, you didn't miss anything. There's nothing okay. in here where he discusses it. But I also think it's consistent with what the other pilots do when mm-hmm. they kind of don't know what to do next. Which makes yeah. sense because, you know, they're... They've never really gotten consistent messaging about what their mission was. And to the extent that they did, it was always like the scientists feeding them information, right? And there's none of that right now. He probably was wondering, like, how long will this go on? Am I actually doing anything? Am I making a difference? Like, what else can I do? And so I sort of just see this as like him floundering, but in the duo specific way where he doesn't want to show anybody that he's vulnerable and he doesn't know what he's doing and none of the other options seem particularly great and so he's just kind of like trying to figure that out and the only person he can be vulnerable to is death i type. also
3: i also think that yeah. i mean i agree with that i think he's i think he's in a f- moment where he is shifting from uh, fighting under other people's orders to trying to find his own way to fight and i think that he's also very attracted to this like average colonist life with Hildy working mm-hmm doing his own thing Mm -hmm, i i suspect that he is very sick of having to follow orders and fight in a war that he doesn't really understand um he just wants to do his own i will fight for the colonists when i feel that it is right like i will i will do my own little attacks um so i don't think he's given up gundaming i think he's given up gundaming for other people
0: yeah i also saw he was so shaken by encountering troa and seeing what the effects of war and battle had been on one of his fellow pilots and it kind of seemed like he was a little bit thinking about himself and what he's doing Um, because he was like i can't imagine that ever happening to me but he's kind of doing the same thing he's sort of back to his cover in a way yeah
2: i guess i was sort of surprised because he seemed like the most self-motivated in terms of still going after oz after he blew from the moon base, like Wu Fei went to ground, but he was still fighting mobile dolls and, like, sort of doing more strategic stuff. So when they pivoted from mobile doll production to, like, the barge production, I sort of assumed that, like, that would be his go to. So it was surprising to me, a person that can barely remember anything in the last third of the series. <laughs>
1: I think it's also, I mean, Duo has no real support network at this point other than Hilde. Like, he couldn't go find a colony that he was from the same way Wu Fei could, right? Mm-hmm, to, like, right. reground him. And so I, I do see a little bit of that where he's, he's trying to find something that he can invest in and, like, make a life for for himself. And, you know, in his... Super secret backstory that never made it into the anime where he was part of this church that then got bombed. He was never really part of a family in the way that I think he actually really wants to be. So I do think it kind of makes sense that he's almost playing house a little bit with Hilde. You know, they had this mm-hmm. dog date scene in the last two episodes. Um, they clearly lived together. Work together. They work together. I'm not really sure what or where they were filing, but I, they, they do spend a lot of time together in a way that one would maybe like play house in a kind of escapist way. So I thought that was charming and sad because I think this is clearly the life he envisions for himself mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. peace times, but mm-hmm. it's not really yeah. peace times. Right, it's it's like an yeah. interim, and he he definitely knows it.
3: I feel like in times of my life, I've felt like such an exhaustion with like the process of politics and the people that have you have to be involved with, and the sort of like messy organizational problems that I have been like, well, I'm just gonna become a filer, scrapyard man, and pretend that the war is over.
0: Oh yeah. Um,
3: so I do I do sort of identify with Duo here. I'm like I want to I want to play house with Hildy. Hildy's cute.
0: In a way, that just sort of speaks to how we have felt—we've been in this like barrage of bad news, like this not normal Um, times—and how all we want is like a little house with a dog and some baguettes, I guess. Yes, and some baguettes is the
2: most relatable. Even like the circus, like yeah, okay, I would go to a circus. That seems fun.
0: (laughs) Okay, there's so much circus in this space. Yeah, this is a lot of circus. Yo, what are they going to do in that
2: colony now that there's a fucking lion on there?
0: Yeah, and elephants.
2: <laughs> is this the last
1: we see of the circus? Oh god, I hope so. I'm so done with the circus. Also, do you know? Did you guys note that when Katra goes to see Troa, the sign literally says over the entrance, "A circus." <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I totally a missed circus. that. That was great.
0: <laughs> I really appreciate the uh, consistency of Troa kneeling. By the the sleeping lion. I'm like, I'm going to get you food. And how we have seen him have affinity with lions before, but that isn't his
1: circus act. And it's, it's still very authors. weird. It's very weird how
3: he's psychic with the lions and yet is a
1: clown. Um, can I just say, because I don't think we really talked about this. I find Catherine's behavior in these couple of episodes really concerning. Yeah. I don't love it. She is essentially entrapping a man who has amnesia, maybe like has reverted a little bit to childhood because his behavior before he gets his memory back is a little bit weird like that. Mm-hmm. And she just is going to keep it Yeah, it's that problematic. Way. Call her out. <gasps>
2: Um, it was intense, and I think the show doesn't think it's as problematic as it is to me. Does she? Are are they actually
3: brother and sister? Does she know that they're actually brother and sister? I can't remember. But she doesn't
0: know. Is there something in that Catherine spends so much time reiterating, like, you know, you're going to bring him back into fighting, and he was hurt, and, you know, I want him to live his life in peace, and... Hilde kind of representing to duo this like domestic lifestyle that he seems to long and the there's this role that i kind of feel like these two characters are playing in the sense that they're they're like quote-unquote civilian ties i think you even get that with catro's sisters even though they're not on
2: screen as much but like there's sort of that feminine like home
1: wait figure. but isn't Hilde yeah. like
3: all four duo fighting again <laughs>
1: yeah she's like a counter she's like a revolutionary or a counter revolutionary at this point i thought that she
0: said a line to him about you want to try to live this life why are you going back
2: you're you're gonna live the life you believe in and then he's like i should find a decent job
3: i was thinking of their later conversation where she's isn't she like oh why don't why don't we join up with this why don't we why don't we do this and duo's like no these white fang people are assholes um, I, th- I think she's all for f- all for fighting.
1: I think she is trying to figure out what Duo wants and mm. what Duo thinks that he can achieve. And she's trying to make herself instrumental in doing that, whether that be, you know, waiting to make sure he gets back from the revolutionary meeting intact or, like, finding a job that could, like, pay. I'm sure for, like, repairs, the death site, or, like, whatever, like, other things right. that he needs to do. So... I mean, I can see that because in a way they are playing house like we talked about, but I think that she very much wants to be like supporting this effort to end war and bring peace to the colonies. She's just not sure how to do it. I do agree, however, that Catherine is playing this kind of like weird, entrapped oasis role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it echoes in a similar way, I guess, to how we saw Sally Poe when Wu Fei was on his depression boat and... Um, And Katra's sister before his dad blew himself up. You know, like all these women who just are there kind of to be therapists because we don't have therapists in Gundam Wing. We have have mobile suit
2: battles. (laughs) I don't think that Hildy herself is supposed to be like her character necessarily is emblematic of that. But like her role in this, like the way that the sort of like woman counterparts um, Mm -hmm. are being used in this episode sort of. To contrast those two lands, I think. But I think it's
3: Duo himself who has himself trapped in that space. Whereas
2: Troa is is
3: being kept there by Catherine.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, (laughs) definitely. But like they sort of, in this episode, sort of reflect a different life that these pilots could be having. Like Catra could be taking over the satellite for his family. And Troa could live in this circus and not fight. And Duo could just get a job, right?
1: You know, I didn't think about that. This is the AU episode, right? Like, this is stuff that they could be doing if they weren't Gundam pilots. Only
3: it's important to show that they have chosen when that when they go back to fighting that they hadn't they had an mm-hmm. option. It wasn't just that they were raised to be child soldiers and they have to do that now.
2: So I feel like Wu Fei really doesn't get that, and Hiro doesn't either. Uh, no,
0: Wu Fei is just kind of doing his own thing he's, um he's, he's fighting his own battles
2: he's definitely having like the same breakdown that hero and catra had but without the zero system yeah
0: <laughs> but he has a new gundam though
2: yeah he does have it um but and, i don't think it doesn't have any zero system no his
1: there. zero system is his own weird deranged definition of justice which is basically what i think is right is justice it's his memory of his
3: uh grandma sensei figure (laughs) telling it telling him do whatever you want
1: i did really appreciate though this redux of the wufei noin dynamic because Mm -hmm. it did have this callback to the first time sort of that we met both of them which was the victoria based battle and just seeing where they've come you know, h- how far they've moved the needle or not moved the needle, where-, where they are with their characterizations. Noin is much more of a, you know, this is what I want. This is where I'm trying to get you to go. Mm-hmm. And-, and Wu Fei kind of gets it. And, you know, he has this bit where he realizes what she's saying, but then it's like, are you talking about the Saint Kingdom? Because that's gone now. Mm-hmm. So I just really enjoyed that redux. It shows you the, the changes in this char- in these characters that I thought were kind of more static than this. But
0: he's still a sexist ass. Still. Like, sounds like something a woman would say. I'm not taking any orders.
3: He's going to be taking orders from
2: a woman before the end. (laughs) 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 The dub made it sound like, to me, so like, please correct me. The dub made it seem like he was a lot more disdainful than it sounded like to me in the, the original Japanese. And that it seemed more like a callback. I
1: don't know because I didn't watch the Um, dubcat. I don't think he meant it 100% as a callback, but I did myself wonder if that's what he was referring to because that's almost exactly what he said to her when they first fought and he let her go. And so I... I think obviously that Wu Fei has a lot of issues he needs to work through, yes. and he still is not meeting Noin where she needs him to meet her, so so there there definitely is an element of disdain there, but I also do read in him kind of a softening of that, and it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like necessarily he was just like, oh, she's just a woman, like there's a part of it that is like, you know, I, I am still who I am, or who you think I am, but I'm kind of hearing you. Like, I kind of know where this is going. It definitely sounded
2: more like a pause in the conversation, and then in the dub, it sounded a little more like seems like something <laughs> woman would say.
0: Okay, so I want to go back to key reunions that we saw in these episodes, pilot reunions. Um, so we see Katra and Duo reunite for the first time since um, wow, was it the Magwanaw Corps? The yes. Corps. Since, since right. the last
3: Magna time we talked about how they're both bottoms and we can't ship them.
0: So I really enjoyed that conversation. And I thought it was kind of, it was a really good indication of where Duo, like where his head is um, at this point. Where Katra is like so gung-ho, like I want to protect the total pacifism upheld by the sank Kingdom duo has lost faith in this cause and i think like you said caitlin is still trying to figure out what he wants to fight for
1: i want to say something sort of shallow before moving on to my greater feelings about this scene the first shallow (laughs) thing i want to say is i know we keep making this joke about them being two bottoms and so we don't ship them i loved this scene because there is a sort of like I see in their relationship almost like a playful flirtiness, like a small like frisson of sexuality because they're they're both queer and they both know it. And it's like fun to flirt with each other because they're receptive and they know where they're coming from, but they know it's going to go nowhere. Like that's the feeling I get from this. And in my notes, I had written that this was like almost a play on that infamous karaoke room scene with zex annoying <laughs> only that is imbued with unrequited like a deeply deeply horny energy whereas this <laughs> is like this it just had to me sort of just like fun old friends who maybe once slept together energy and that's <laughs> yeah. what i really liked about it
3: yeah that's presuming that either of them have ever had sex
1: Yes, I know they have it, but that's like how it felt to me. Like that's that's the just energy baby I was gaze. getting from it.
3: I love this view of Katra's
1: rich ass space. Yes, Duo hates rich people. Canon. Duo hates rich people. And I love that part too because we, you know, in our last episode, our fandom artifact was these cassette tapes, right, where they had the the dialogue and Duo mentions in there about how Katra had a different childhood than this. Yes. <laughs> yes. And here is this wonderful line where he's basically like, "Okay, this place is way too rich for me. I need to leave yeah, because I also need to leave. like a, I'm too poor to be here," which is he, he has this, like, Duo has a wonderful performativity in, like, this scene that I thought was great. And it's just one of those moments where you realize, like, I think his Japanese voice actor and then the writers had a great grasp on his character and what he would be like in moments where he felt backed into a corner. And it was to, like, throw out these jokes. Same. And it, they're Same. really wonderful here.
0: I also wanted to talk about Katra's reunion with Troa, Because he has been longing for his boyfriend for at least several episodes. So in Gundam Wing time, that's a long time. The juxtaposition of his office or high-rise apartment, wherever that was, to the circus is really stark and... It was funny to me because Duo has just told Katra like you're too rich, and then he's sort of slumming it in this in this circus, looking really confused and concerned. And then he sees Troa from behind. And it's so K-drama, you know, like the music is about to swell. <laughs> right down to the amnesia. He's crying. <laughs> Everything
2: about
3: this
0: is K-drama.
2: <laughs> so gay it's just like the gayest shit ever
1: it really is and
0: and it's like the show was like man katra and troa are too strong of a pairing and now we need some dramatic tension what dramatic tension amnesia you know like i actually hate amnesia
3: as a plot point and i also don't like it when pairings have external problems rather than internal problems (laughs) Sorry, that's my like spe- <laughs> really specific pairing preference, which is that I don't like it when they're ter- when they love each other but are torn apart by external external forces. I like it when they're stuck okay, together well, but about, they don't realize that they
2: love each other. What about Troa remembering heroes' quotes yes, to, him, to yes, live a life yes. to act on I, their emotions? That's I, what he retained from okay. amnesia, but not Catherine. Yeah.
1: Damn. I love this. And I also love this because we failed to mention that Duo twice in these two episodes is thinking about Hiro first when he's with Hilde. And he basically mm-hmm. is like, I wonder what that guy is doing. And it's obviously about Hiro. And, and so I thought this was really funny because originally I was thinking, oh, finally, the show is back to the original tr- like pairings that they set us up with. And everybody's really relieved because we're back on solid ground. And then Choa drops this bit where he is remembering Hiro's quote to him. <laughs> Which inspires him to go to Katra, and I was like, never mind, I guess we're still going to spin this, like, one times three times four triangle until, <laughs> until people the end can remember so he remembers People hero's can remember quotes. quotes
3: from their friends without it being a love triangle.
1: This is definitely well, a love triangle.
2: He, he remembers hero's quotes, but Katra is calling to him psychically. Everyone in this episode, everyone in these episodes is psychic. Yes. That's the theme.
3: <laughs> if hero were psychic he'd be able to call to troa and then maybe he would get the man
0: but relina calls relina is
3: definitely psychic
0: at the end of episode 38 hero hears relina it seems yeah right? hero
2: hears relina and then relina hears zex yes yes and then troa <laughs> hears catra
1: so I don't we, think Duo Yeah, but gets that's to be psychic. that's only r- like Relina,
3: the Peacecrafts can be psychic. Katra's obviously psychic. If anyone in the show is going to have Heart of space psychic powers besides Katra, it would, it would obviously be Relina.
0: I mean, that's that makes it. sense. Um so We haven't talked about sex. We haven't talked about sex, and I think we should because he and Hero have a big clash. Um it's very shippy, I think. I love, yeah. I loved how Zex is like, "Hero, are you the enemy?" Ask Zero. It's <laughs> it's like so dramatic and good.
2: I loved like the visuals of this fight and how we got to see the Zero systems like interact with each other oh, to yeah. create like this pre-matrix matrix. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like all of the visuals were s- the animation across the board for these two episodes were great. Everyone was on model, but like this was the peak.
0: Yeah, this battle was was really fun and dynamic um like i love that moment where zex is about to shoot hero and then he falls over and passes out because the best ships are when they would both kill each other but they're too tired i love
1: it (laughs) so okay Um, so that's
3: your really
0: specific pairing thing (laughs) That's
1: an extremely yes. specific thing. <laughs> That's my thing. really specific pairing. My really specific pairing thing is I hate enemies to lovers. So I did, I did <laughs> yeah, not you find hate, this ship at You hate everything except
0: for people
3: who are just friends, partners, coworkers. co coworkers
1: and fall in love. So duo Hilding. Uh, duo and Hilding. <laughs> I wanted to pose this one question, though, which is I feel like when Zex gets in the Epion and Hiro gets... In, Back into Wing Zero, it felt like this moment, like ah, uh, you know, these were the Gundams they were supposed yeah. to be in. Trays built Epion, I think, for Hiro, considering he programmed the stupid bunker to recognize Hiro coming in. But it did almost feel like, in many ways, Epion was always a mobile suit. Oh yeah, for sex. like it's all red, just yes, like yeah, absolutely you know, suit. It it's like a dual, it's like a duelist and only a duelist mobile suit because it has no long range combat yeah. whatsoever, and it was designed in Trey's mind to help somebody understand like where their future is right which is like mm-hmm. why he couldn't pilot it and i thought that was like this weird way of him like reaching out to Zex and trying to get his friend Zex to like see Yes the absolutely
3: this was this was Trey's trying to communicate with zex even if he programmed i mean i think he programmed hero in for convenience (laughs) but really he was hoping it would find its way to zex
0: and i think he knew that hero would eventually clash with zex like he knew that those two paths would keep colliding and so it would be a pretty easy way to get epion to its rightful
3: yeah we also know for like plot reasons that hero has to end up back in gundam wing even even though it's right, now wing right zero, of, yes. um, I also th- thought watching this that so I think Epion's really cool looking. I mean, it's obviously bonkers. We've we've talked about this before, but it doesn't. It's a leather. Day. Yeah, when it when I look at it and somebody calls it a Gundam, I feel like repulsed. I'm like, that's not a Gundam. Yes. It's not nice. It's not my friend. <laughs> yes, I don't want that to be I the agree. Gundam. So hero hero can't pilot it. longer than a couple of episodes he needs to be back in wing zero
2: but yeah so this is hero turning away from that like the battle frenzy and moving back into his 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 destiny with wing zero his his destiny is the main character
3: of a show called gundam wing
2: yeah i just i just love the idea of these two suits and these two pilots being so evenly matched that like the statistical analysis of every single potential battle that they could be in like was so overwhelming that it ended in a tie anyway like,
0: like they don't have to we tried
2: yeah Peter's just like fuck this um, and that to me is very shippy like that's sort of that yes balance. them being
3: evenly matched it's rivals to lovers, mm-hmm. Kathy. What do you feel about rivals to I lovers? Hate that. You know
1: I hate that. You know I hate that. Why are you? Why are you asking me? This I know
3: because I, wa- I want. I want you to say it on recording.
0: All right. So um, I think it's time to move to our Phantom Artifact today, um, which is going to be a Gundam Wing music redux. So I've been poking around Spotify, and there was a lot more Gundam Wing related music than I thought there would be. Um, We've talked about the music before early in the podcast, but we really only talked about the dramatic titles of the songs, and now we can share some music with you, and I've created a a playlist on Spotify with the songs we discussed and other relevant ones. Let's start with the kind of official music related to the show. I wanted to shout, once again, shout out the voice actors, (laughs) because Dang, they had to do so much for this job. Not only do they have to do, like, record all these episodes, but they have to record music. What if you're not a good singer? And you can clearly tell...
2: They're not all good
3: singers. They're not all good
0: singers. <laughs> they're all, they can all you sing.
3: Can, they're all beautiful singers. Leave them alone.
0: I, I mean, look, you can definitely tell... You can feel which of, You can tell which of the actors are either, you know, professional singers or, like, really good at public karaoke and then which ones are good at karaoke in a room with their friends um like i would say Tro's voice actor and i'm going to play a little bit of this song which i think is pretty unfortunate oh my um, god this is the clown, song? This is the clown leave song. him
3: alone he's a sad clown <laughs> <laughs>
2: i
0: tell he's doing his best but i just i can't help but listen to it and feel a little bit like it's unfair to expect all of your voice actors to have to also sing. but that's
3: how they're all trained for that now like nowadays and even back then that was starting to be the trend where like you'd, you'd be expected to put out these character songs like they knew what they were getting into
1: i had also previously when we did this wrote like a very long essay actually about the music of Gundam Wing where I briefly touched on the character songs. Um Hiro's voice actor I think is fine. He's competent, but I also think his image songs were very bad. Very bad. Did not at all summon any kind of image of Hiro Yui to me. <laughs> I would contrast this with the ones for Katra. You know, his voice actor was a woman and it is much more obvious, I think, in the singing than maybe in the show. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do feel like the songs that they wrote for katra felt more like him so in a way like when i heard them i was like oh yes like that's clearly meant to be about katra whereas with hyodos i was like what in the world is going on and i really love wufei i love
3: Fei's song <laughs>
1: I love Wufei's song and especially this one um, and what I thought that I've had before is like if this was a K-pop group, Wufei would absolutely be the rapper because that is the song that they gave him, the rapper song.
3: Wait, so I will all say that I think Hero's song suffers from having to be the main character song. Like, it's more of a main character song than just like a hero personality song. Um, I also think... Also, oh, yeah. do
2: character songs normally follow, like, genre conventions to go with the character?
3: I, I don't, I don't really know, but I think that they were just going for he's, he's the main, he's the main character rather than he's hero. So, there's a lot of issues in like, Seiyu training where like, uh, like they're trained to like do sort of very weird things with their voices in order to match the characters. Um, so you do have like examples of female seiyu who play men or masculine characters and it's, it seems really harsh on their voice. And then when they have to sing the songs, it's it's also kind of harsh on their voice. Um, I think they mostly avoid that with, with Katra. They, they sort of let her sing mm-hmm. naturally. But if you compare her song with the main girl songs, which we also have on this list, it's clearly like a more like boyish tone.
0: I did really like Dorothy's character song. Um, joy to my life. Yes. Because I that imagine good. that she's talking about war.
1: <laughs>
0: it's this like, <laughs> I'm in love. I love this. I'm I love. love you. I'm and love. I'm just imagining her singing to the concept of war.
3: Yeah, she loves war. That's definitely what that song is about. Or it's about Relina.
1: Yeah, I I would say that the character songs of Gundam Wing are not perhaps the strongest character songs that you will ever not, hear. In not the even anime. the strongest
3: from the 90s. <laughs> not even the
1: strongest from the 90s. I will say that um, Good Luck and Goodbye is my favorite of them, which is duos. Everybody nice,
3: everybody
2: That all the like all the Gundam Wing soundtracks are back on Spotify because when we recorded that first podcast, they had all been taken down. Like they pop up every so often, I guess.
0: So yeah. hopefully they stay. I wanted to bring in some other music too, namely rap songs that reference Gundam Wing that are called Gundam Wing. Chance the Rapper in 2012 sampled. The uh, Toonami promo for his song, Nostalgia. Let's listen to a little bit of that. He should try enjoying life rather than spending his time trying to
1: outsmart me. While he's alive,
0: that is. I know what you're saying,
3: but it's not that simple. It's just human nature. What's that guy doing, I
2: wonder? That's that's the same year that Richie Branson dropped... um, his NERD EP that has Bring Back Toonami and Toonami, uh, Toonami's Back, bitch, I think. Yeah. So, the, the that EP.
0: <laughs> and Richie Branson also did a specific Gundam Wing EP called Wing Zero, which is on YouTube but not on Spotify. I'm reminiscing the school afternoons. That's when I fell in love with Japanese cartoons while everybody else was chilling doing. Glued
3: to my TV watching Wing. The Richie Branson songs are so good and I was, by, like, by the end I was willing to, like, acknowledge him as my otaku king as well. <laughs> um.
0: They're great because you can tell how much he loves and respects Gundam Wing and I have been fascinated in recent years kind of reading about and hearing more, like, references to anime in like, really popular rap. You know, you have people like Michael B. Jordan talking about how much he loves Naruto. Um, Megan Thee Stallion is, like, a huge otaku. And yeah. She's my anime my anime queen.
2: We read that Pitchfork article uh, in preparation for this about the intersections
3: between uh, hip-hop and anime. And there's a quote in it from an academic, um, Christine Yano, and she's talking about sort of, like, how this intersection works. And she, she mentions that there's in Japan, there's like a, a dual admiration, fetishization sort of thing for black culture where you both think it's really cool, but you also very much otherize it. Um, and the fun part, I think, is that a lot of a lot of artists, music artists outside of Japan do the same thing to Japan. So like like a lot of the hip hop vibes are very, very much like, yeah, Samurai are so cool. Naruto is so cool in a way that's sometimes is a little bit fetishistic but is also very like good.
1: I also like that the article calls out part of it is just a demographic right. thing. Right. It's just it's mm-hmm. just because we're all the same age. Yeah. Where they grew up with anime where you know Richard Branson in the Wing Zero EP raps about experiences I remember which is like coming home and watching Gundam Wing.
2: <laughs> and that makes sense because you look at the cross-cultural exchange of rap and like Asian media with like Wu-Tang Clan. Yes. 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 Um, if
3: you there, so, there's an interview with Megan the stallion i think with Crunchyroll, roll where she talks about her love of anime and one of the things she says is that she loves naruto because he is just he's just doing his best and so when she's like down and wants to like be inspired she she thinks about naruto she takes on a naruto persona which i think is exactly why we all watch shonen anime especially um because it's about gaining strength it's about fighting for your friends it's about uh kicking
0: ass right and when you're down still being so true to your passions and your your sense of justice that you're going to keep fighting even when you're you've been kicked to the the ground and i feel like that is an idea that is really resonant to people who feel marginalized well um, and the whether because you have nerdy preferences media or for other reasons
2: well, I think this is like you can like anime and be cool at the same time. I mean, the, so
3: the the big one of the big rap references to anime is Dragon Ball Z, which we haven't I don't think we've even discussed yeah, on this huge. podcast.
1: No, we have not. But I understood.
3: watched Dragon Ball Z too because it was on at the same time yeah. as tsunami. Um and I really think that I've oh my god, somebody's going to have to remind me cuz there's there's a rapper talking about how like Dragon Ball Z expresses the experience of the black man where they are like in exile and they're struggling. Um, cause that's, that's what Dragon yeah. Ball Z is about. It's about like this race trying to like revive themselves and like save the world via their, uh, special powers.
1: Oh,
2: Rizza? Yes. yes.
1: Yes. It yes. Yes. And I, I do also like though, at the end of the Pitchfork article where they, where, um, What one of the people interviewed says basically, well, I like Gara because he had a face tattoo, (laughs) just like he was if he was like a SoundCloud rapper, which I thought was so funny. Like there's these resonances accidental or otherwise that, you know, tie this genre to you and makes it feel like this genre expresses some things that are familiar to you or comforting to you. And that one made me laugh a lot. That's like the best part of anime,
0: right? Because, like you said, Kathy, the rule of anime is that everyone in that world is just so sure of themselves and their world. Yeah, it's a real comfort, even when we watch characters who are struggling in their world. It's kind of comforting to see them, like, still feeling true to themselves. Yeah,
3: it's interesting because it's not really how I experience Gundam Wing. Like I don't experience Gundam Wing the same way I experienced Naruto. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. it's a very different narrative, <laughs> yeah. but I also wonder, I mean, obviously Gundam Wing is not as popular a hip hop talk- topic as Naruto, um, but I wonder if <laughs> like part of the appeal in some of the songs that we listen to uh, is that there's like this complexity, that there's this uh, uh, darkness within the, the sort of like fighting
2: and power fantasy of like having a mobile suit. Um, and it's it's sort of hard to think of Hero as like that traditional shonen pick himself up when he's been knocked down kind of character for me because it's sort of like sometimes though he'll just blow himself up, which is very relatable but a little less motivating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so not to get my on my soapbox for Gundam Wing, but I do think a problem with this series is that a lot of us watched at an age where we just were not digesting any of the messages that it was sending out in, in a deep or interesting way. Like part of the fun of this podcast has been going back and seeing concepts like fascism, authoritarian rule, like what does total pacifism mean? Like what does, a, you know, radical peace essentially mean to us and what we can do in our lives? I just think that when when I was that age, I, w- I would not be capable of thinking about this. I don't things. know. I, Whereas I, I think... I think like kids, kids well, do pick up on more of that and that's partly why these shows appealed versus American cartoons. I... I agree, Caitlin, but I think like it's different than DBZ or Naruto, which I think when you see references to them in rap songs, like Caitlin, you brought up the fact that Frank Ocean at one point drops a reference to Majin Buu in Pink Matter, yeah, and Yeah, basically
3: talking about, uh, I I assume, pussy. Yes. (laughs) Which is not what I thought of when I saw Majin Buu back in the day, but now every time I see Majin Buu, that is what I think of.
1: Yes. And so what I think of is like there are some shows that I think, you know, you internalize and then the references you drop about those shows are different from the way that Gundam Wing is dropped in the examples that we see in this playlist, which Mm -hmm. feel very either a reference to them watching gundam wing as a kid or just about the mobile suit like in one of them i remember the lyrics are literally pull up in a gundam wing yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of it right like it's not the same kind of deep and many layered reference that the majin Buu reference in pink matter is because it's clearly something that's kind of like wormed its way into frank ocean's thought and consciousness so i wonder if it would have been different or if just the nature of gundam wing itself as a show makes that difficult the same way dbz or naruto does
0: so that's the end of our podcast we will be posting links to our playlist and also to some of the essays that we referenced on our tumblr and our instagram so follow us there